Hello, my name is Adam Eaton. Welcome to episode 98 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome indeed to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a cracking show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest Hazel Gale. Uh, Then we'll have this week's Hypnosis in the News stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media. And we're doing things a little bit differently in that respect this week. We're looking at some some archive stories that I'm as you'll see when we get there. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest Hazel Gale. We'll be talking about her Mind Monsters project as well as her approach to hypnotherapy. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. And, And I've got to say, this week's factoid is one that I am happier about and more satisfied with than any other I have spoken of in the entire history of this podcast. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted in the episode notes section at iTunes and on each episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. You can add thoughts, comments, make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, please do also consider giving us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. I'll be a BFF if you do. Okay. Um, so first of all, this day, um, um, it's, it's this week's interview with my guest, Hazel Gale. Um, Hazel is a former kickboxing champion um, and, and she has a compelling, a, a fascinating story to tell uh, that she shares in the upcoming interview. Um, she overcame some, some major physical and mental challenges with the help of hypnotherapy and ultimately went on to learn it and use it herself professionally as she does today. Um, after Hazel and I recorded this episode, um, I met her a couple of days later at the UK Hypnosis Convention, uh, the, the weekend that's just gone in fact, and the reports from her presentation were universally positive. Most of the feedback and the comments that I read and heard were about Hazel's passion, her motivational style and absolute conviction with, with what she's doing. As you may expect from someone who has excelled in sport, um, especially the kind of sport um, um, as she has done. So um, without any further ado, then, let, let's get on with it, shall we? For now, get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume. Sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. <music> So 
So, as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome this week's guest on Hypnosis Weekly, the one and only Hazel Gale. Hazel, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, for people that, uh, for listeners, people tuning in that are, that, that are not aware of you currently, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, um, how did you get into this field? Um, um, tell us about your background and how you've arrived at where you are now. Well, my background is mainly in sport. So I was competing as a kickboxer and then boxer for almost a decade. And uh, I was doing that full time and very, very intensely. Um, in fact, too intensely. The, the whole reason I'm in this field is because I burnt out horribly a few years into competing, largely because my mindset was completely wrong. And I, I'm sure we'll talk about this in more detail. But I was pushing myself too hard, as lots of athletes and to other people do. You know, it's just such a burnout is such a common thing for people to be talking about these days because we're all at it. Um, and so I, my body completely broke down, essentially. And uh, after exhausting every medical route I could do in a number of different uh, sort of Eastern practices and things like that to try and fix it, yeah. the one thing that did bring me back to health and get me back in the ring as well eventually was cognitive hypnotherapy. Um, so I was inspired enormously by the sessions I had and the changes I made, and I found it all extremely fascinating. So I trained up uh, at the earliest possible opportunity yeah. and um, and started practicing. Great, 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 great. Um, um, so you mentioned cognitive hypnotherapy. Tell us, tell us, you know, what, what, where you're at as far as hypnosis is concerned with with, with regards to, to to it as a phenomenon. You know, how do you how do you define it? You know, if if you do, and and how have you arrived at that? And um, you know, get, maybe give us an idea of how you explain hypnosis to to your clients and and people that inquire about your work. Yeah, so I mean, this is an interesting question for me, because um, in cognitive hypnotherapy, we don't um, do much in the way of sort of formal inductions. Uh, we see uh, trance as a naturally occurring state, and I have to say that uh, I think that probably ninety percent of my sessions, the words hypnosis and trance don't even come up. Mm. Um, it, interestingly, I don't know why clients don't even ask me that much these days. But if they do, I explain that we see it as a naturally occurring state. Um, you know, Torn Noritrand, as uh, the author of The User Illusion, asserts that 90% of our behavior on a daily basis is unconsciously generated rather than consciously. And so if that's the case, then we are in, probably in a state of hypnosis of, on sort of one level or another for 90% of the time. And this certainly seems to be true in terms of when we look at what, how suggestible people are just by everyday occurrences. I mean, we're clearly being um, given hypnotic suggestions by all advertisers at all times, as well as our friends and any conversation we have, any movie we watch, these ideas get embedded. Um, so I don't see it as a special thing that needs to, you know, even needs a qualification in order to be elicited. I just see it as a thing that's happening in our yeah. minds. And that makes it very easy for us to do conversational work without any without anything too formal I mean obviously I do do a lot of work with eyes closed largely because um, that means that the client can engross themselves in their visualizations and focus yeah. um, so that would be the, the, the part of our, my sessions that look most like hypnosis most of the time having said that I do use relaxation uh, suggestions for people who need it which would look a little more traditional I expect um, yeah. but anyone who has concerns about whether they are suggestible I mean any hypnotherapist will have will have had to answer the question what what if i'm not suggestible or people coming in who said they've been on some kind of stage show and it didn't work um when people have concerns about that i tell them that that i i score a big fat zero on the stanford scales i'm I, 
by traditional measures, I'm completely unsuggestible. It's terrible. It's so annoying. I've tried for a decade, for years, to try and get my hand stuck to a table or something like that. It just doesn't happen. Um, having said that, hypnotherapy completely changed my life around. So I don't believe we need to be able to do those tricks. We don't need to have clucked like a chicken at any stage in our lives in order to benefit from this work. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, tell me, tell me, I'm. I'm Tell me about some of your influences. Tell me about um, some of the books, some of the authors that have taught you most, some of the teachers that have been the most influential upon you, and, and perhaps some of the reasons why. Um, well, I mean, certainly my biggest influence is Trevor Sylvester, who's my teacher um, at Quest um, and a good friend. Um, I, I, actually, I actually qualified as a clinical hypnotherapist first and then moved over into cognitive hypnotherapy um, almost immediately afterwards. My mm. clinical training was good. Um, and I was practicing, um, but I read one of Trevor's books and he just spoke my language. So I, I enrolled on his course immediately and uh, I just, it's been a complete game changer, um, for me. And, um, one of the people that he will have directed me to, I'm sure, um, I found Walensky after Trevor, um, yeah, Stephen Walensky, who wrote Trances People Live. That book has got to be my Bible in terms of hypnotherapy. I think I've read it about five times. Yeah. Um, and it's it, it again just a massive game changer and a very 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 detailed look at how uh, everyday occurring um, trance phenomena can be used um, in, in a conversational way to help people break negative patterns and come back into a state of consciousness um, about their choices and decisions. So yeah, those would be my two key influences. Mm, mm, great, great. Um... Um, I like it when people say nice things about Trevor. I think Trevor is a very, very lovely man. Former guest on the show. Um, met Trevor a bunch of times. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him tomorrow, actually, at the UK Hypnosis yeah. Convention um, and catching up with him. Um, um, so tell me, with, within the years that you've been working, Dan, and you've been exploring this field, um, um, what, what, uh, and you talked about your own your own kind of um, um, experience of, of, of transformation from 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 your, your near on burnout and so on. Um, what, what, what's been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that, that you have directly witnessed, that you've, that you've been there and seen? Mm. Um, well, obviously there's lots of, lots of client stories I could give you, but I can't really. Um, um, so, so I won't breach any client confidentiality. I think that probably the best snippet story that I could give you about hypnosis is something that I, um, did for myself when I was when I was boxing when you're boxing you obviously have to make weight for your fights um yeah. and making weight is, is, is a complete nightmare um and it's made particularly difficult by menstrual cycles if you're a female um for me I can put on two kilos on the first day of my period due to water retention sure. and so there were two times when I was fighting and I realized that my weigh-in was going to be on the first day of my period and um I kind of panicked and I actually think this might even have been before I qualified, perhaps while I was just interested in hypnosis, or maybe while I was on the clinical hypnotherapy course, I can't remember when it happened. But I decided to see if I could bring my period forward by a few days using visualization only. And I managed it. I worked. Wow. I worked, cool. I worked, yeah, I won't go into the, the horrendous details of what. <laughs> Thing. Um, but I was trying to cover all of the senses. I mean, there was nothing auditory I could do for, for getting my period, but I was using um, visualization and also trying to mimic the feeling of cramps in my body. Um, uh, yeah. And the next the next day, my period came about five days early. Um, I couldn't quite believe this, wrote it off as coincidence the first time, but then did it again um, a few months 
after that when it when the same situation arised um so so that really it was a big convincer for me uh, but interestingly i tried it a third time just when i didn't need it just to see if i could do it and on that time it didn't work so it was an interesting lesson there about um intention and mm. need and how these things affect the work that we're doing there is no magic wand but you know if the motivation is there the change can happen yeah 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 i love hearing that um um so you know if upon reflection i kind of wanted to explore if there's anything that you would do differently um, um if you could go back to when you started out when you kind of decided and to, to step on the that the road, so to speak, as a, as a hypnotherapist, as a hypnosis professional, is there anything that you would do differently? And if so, what? And is there any advice that the person you are today would, would give that younger you that you'd share with with, with our listeners? Mm. I mean, this is a boring answer, but pr there probably isn't anything I would change because I had a really great introduction with the two courses that I did, and I believe I did them in the right order. I, my clinical training, having had that in place and having in fact, that's an important point. Because I was already qualified as a clinical hypnotherapist when I did the cognitive hypnotherapy course, mm. I was practicing throughout my cognitive hypnotherapy training. And um, that meant that I had the opportunity to utilize the processes I was learning and the methods I was learning, um, you know, week by week uh, as I was going through the course. And I believe that put me in a much, much better position than anyone who was on the course and didn't um, have you know, a source of people to to use the processes with. And I've, I've seen a lot of people go through these sorts of courses and get to the end and just feel so they've done their case studies. You know, they've done the minimum requirement of what's what's needed for their qualification. And they don't feel ready to actually take anybody's money or help anybody with a you know, real real life in inverted commas problem. Um, yeah. So if I so, yeah, I, I, I feel lucky that I went through it in that way. Um, and I think it was exactly the right way to do it. Um, but that doesn't mean that everyone has to do course after course in order to get a great training. Although I think it's a great idea to get as many uh, qualifications as you can. Yeah, me too. But, um, but I would say to anyone starting out that the most important thing is that you practice as much as possible while before you're taking anyone's money, because there's such a big difference in your own mental state sitting in front of somebody as a qualified professional and sitting in front of someone who, when you can say, I'm just going to check my notes because I'm practicing and, uh, and, and you don't have the pressure of it being a professional situation. Um, so that's, that is what I, when I, when I work with anyone from quest who, who, who's coming up and through, that's always the piece of advice I give. doesn't matter whether your sessions are great roaring successes or failures. Um, before you start, you've just got to get as many of them done as possible. You're not going to feel ready until you've done them. So do them now. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, that's that's lovely to hear. Um, um, so we're going to talk in a short while. We're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about your, your mind monsters project, um, um, which which I'm really excited to to explore with you. Um, um, I wanted to ask you, and I know this is this is something that that that, that I'm not I, I didn't say I was going to ask, but did you find that because of your fight background, you, you you have you work with a lot of fighters yourself, or a lot of sports people yourself as well? You you kind of drawn to them? Are they drawn to you? Yeah, I probably see more sports people and certainly see more boxers and kickboxers than than most. Um, I, and always, when I started out, my plan was only to work with athletes. That's what I thought I wanted to do. But as um, I quickly realized that, that I wasn't, uh, whereas I was happy to work with sports people, I didn't want to limit myself just to that. Yeah. Um, but I love working with boxers and because, uh, because I can live it with them so clearly. Yeah. 
and there are some really specific things, you know, that that, that are very useful to, to have done. Um, lots of boxers, I mean, more pretty much any boxer who comes to see me will say at some stage that they wouldn't have wanted to see someone who didn't know what it was like to be in the ring. Yeah. But I work with boxing coaches occasionally too um, to work with their hypnotic language for corner work because, I mean, there is no better example yeah. of a nap of a of a naturally occurring trance state than when you're sitting in the corner of the ring in between rounds. I mean, people are totally deep in trance at that point and so just simple things like um not giving negative negative not giving negative feedback um in both in terms of you know lots of boxing coaches will do the old school you're rubbish sort yourself out kind of coaching and yeah. um boxers will will claim that they respond well to that and i don't really believe any of them um so coaching people on how to positively um enforce the the confidence of their boxer is important but also things like not saying don't drop your hands yeah. so uh, we as as hypnotherapists it's automatic you know not to use too many negatives in our in our language because if you say don't drop your hands people will think about dropping their hands rather than keeping them up so just little things like that can make a massive difference to how good how how effective a coach can be in a corner because it is a really hard thing to do and it's and you're just as stressed as the fighter if not more at that point because the pressure's on you, you feel that their life is in your hands, and you need to give a brilliant bit of advice. You need to know exactly how to do that in a concise and effective way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. That's uh, that's really interesting. Um, um, so so where can people go? People want to go and learn more about you, what you do, your approach, and and everything else. Where can they go? Where can they go find out some more? Uh, well, I, I guess uh, the, I guess I'd say my book is the first place. First place I'd direct them at the moment. Um, yeah. Obviously, my my website is up. It's Hazelgale. Okay, what's, what's the name of the book? The book is called at it's at the moment. It's called Fight, Win, Freedom from Self Sabotage. So it's called yeah. Fight. Um, it's out in hardback at the moment. The reason I, I I said the title is that at the moment is because we are considering changing it for the paperback, which will be out in April next year. Um, because I, I'm really keen to get the word monsters or mind monsters onto the uh, onto the cover in one way or another. So we're, we're working on how to do that at the moment. So the title yeah. may change. Um, but depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it, I'm sure that if you just put my name into uh, Amazon, it will it will come up. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll put a link to, to the book cool. over at this episode um, on the episode notes. Great. And, and your website, Hazel Gale? Hazelgale.com. Yep, and the the Mind Monsters website is mindmonsters.online, um, and uh, and various social channels which uh, which I'm sure we'll list, and I won't go through all of those. Uh, but yeah, th- those are my those are my main. Great, great, <laughs> great, great. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll have links to, to to all of those sites um, over at the uh, in the episode notes of this particular edition, and we will be back with Hazel Gale. We're talking all things Mind Monsters uh, in just a few minutes' time. I really enjoyed that. More from Hazel in a short while. And um, before that, we're going to have a look at our hypnosis in the news stories. Um, slightly different to my usual take on, on recent stories. I'm going to go back about a decade with, with, with two stories that I wanted to discuss and share. 
Um, first up is something I wrote about back in 2008 um, in an article entitled Men's Health Magazine Encouraging People to Become Hypnotherapists. So back in 2008, when I was taking down all of our Christmas decorations, lights, trees, cards, and so on, um, I was pinning up on my wall uh, the marathon training program, you know, my, my, my annual 16-week program for running London Marathon, which I was doing again that year. Um, so with my sort of fitness regime carefully planned each day for those 16 weeks, I'd also been reading from cover to cover um, um, a bunch of uh, uh, old or previous uh, monthly men's fitness and men's health magazines uh, really avidly. And um, the reason that I, that I bothered mentioning that at all is for a reason that you probably would not suspect. Um, and that is that the 2008 New Year edition of Men's Health magazine had an article that was entitled Work Smarter, written by Nick Bradshaw. Now, here's the precy to the article that was written. Want to beat the job market? If you're worried you'll find yourself out on a limb, it's time to recession-proof your career. These jobs will make you fitter, happier, healthier and richer. Okay, so that sounds interesting. Uh, the 10 jobs that were listed were librarian, tree surgeon, wine buyer, landscape architect, college lecturer, personal trainer, session drummer, um, genetic counsellor, and guess what else? Yep, you guessed it right, hypnotherapist. And they gave advantages to all of these jobs and little things that indicate a health bonus or and describe the level of training required and whether they were low stress and so on. For um, a hypnotherapist, they, they included the icons that indicated no boss and recession proof. And here's what they said about it in the article. Salary, £100,000 plus. Entry difficulty, two stars out of a possible five stars. And then, they, and then they wrote the following. Look into our eyes. According to direct.gov.uk, the Government Careers Advice Service, the demand for hypnotherapists is rising. Due to an increase in referrals by GPs, you get to explore clients' minds, helping them overcome psychological and physical conditions, and occasionally make them stand on one leg and bark like a dog. A series of workshops and assignments will get you recognised by the National Council for Hypnotherapy and you can charge an hourly rate between £40 and £100. The clincher, peace, quiet, security and no boss. A way to grow rich, chilling out. The kicker, due to stage quacks, it will take time to build up a solid reputation. So once you get past this sort of tabloid multimedia style of writing, there's perhaps a, a grain of truth in there. Um, um, though you can charge more, it, it is actually tougher than they indicate to qualify with a good school and with a reputable organisation. These days, people expect more of a hypnotherapist's education. You know, we have national occupational standards as a kind of bare minimum um, um, as far as as far as the training is concerned and so on. Um it's it's the salary side of things and, and, and the business side of things that I'm interested in. I mean, they mentioned due to an increase in referrals by GPs. And I think, you know, it's it's 
it's it, it's it's a rare hypnotherapist whose business is fed by GPs. You know, with my own work um, at the Royal Society of Medicine and and working with with, with a number of GPs, I do get um, 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 referrals from GPs, but I don't think that many people's businesses are genuinely fed by GPs because I think that a lot of the ways in which people um, present their business is not something that that a GP naturally connects with um, for, for what that's worth. Um, um, it's a salary side of things I thought I'd consider in a bit more depth today because I suppose potentially you could you could earn more than is indicated um, but I encounter very few hypnotherapists who actually do there are a proliferation of hypnotherapy business gurus out there who have not actually earned a great deal by seeing one-to-one clients themselves but somehow managed to compare convince hypnotherapists that they are successful and therefore hypnotherapists that are struggling to build a business spend what little budget they do have on systems and approaches that are anything other than proven and are usually flawed. Likewise, just because something may work for one person, it doesn't necessarily always translate well for others. You know, big personalities, loud marketing characters, um, even a uniqueness of character that that may help some get busy. That may not be a, you know, or or rather may be a non-tangible reason that one guru is doing so well. You know, I've been to Company's House on a couple of occasions, um, you know, online and checked out claims made by some business gurus and they're clearly not doing doing as well as they make out. The biggest problem with this is that others are being taught things that are very unlikely to help them and may not even be able to run an effective business that they dream they're getting help with. I see a lot of people um, as well who had successful careers elsewhere or in other fields and earned earned a lot of money in other fields, um, um, but then go on to give the impression that they earned their wealth in the hypnotherapy field when they absolutely did not. Um, Many of whom have ongoing income or pensions. um, um, And and there are many people out there with wealthy spouses who prop up their business, for example. Um, And as a field and as individuals, we need to see through that. Um, You know, I've been a full-time hypnotherapy professional since 1997. And when I started out, you know, I was in my early 20s with very little life experience. I had a pretty poor education in hypnotherapy, unbeknownst to me at the time. I had no entrepreneurial skills or knowledge and I struggled. Boy, did I ever struggle. You know, I was paying for advertising. I was paying for expensive offices in central London. I was paying for professional memberships. I was paying for insurance. I was paying for website development. And and all that was before I'd even considered the cost of living and leading a life that, 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 that was making me happy and feel fulfilled. You know, I didn't even have a mortgage or a family to support back in those days in the late 1990s. Um, and, and I still managed to get into a lot of debt. And my business was unsustainable. And I was within a hair's breadth of packing it all in and returning to full-time employment um, as my family, friends, accountant and bank manager were all urging me to do. And it was a desperate time for me. It gives me butterflies just recollecting it today you know at times it felt like I was swimming in treacle but it you know but it tasted far worse and I put I had put so much effort in and was getting nowhere I loved the field of hypnotherapy and I couldn't understand you know and man that was some stressful stuff 
My last few quid was spent on getting assistance from someone who coached me, who mentored me, who guided me. And, and, and things really changed. I soaked up the advo- advice. You know, we explored what I was doing. Um, I investigated. I spoke to successful therapists. Um, I studied what made people a success in this field. I, 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 I kind of clambered myself out of debt and learned how I could do what I wanted to do which was helping others using hypnotherapy and earn a healthy living with a good lifestyle. And, you know, 22 years on, um, um, as I am today, um, I'm I'm still a hypnotherapist. I have complete life autonomy. Um, um, You know, I I raise my family at the seaside by choice uh, where we we hang out and I spend many hours a week um, being able to kind of express myself in life in a way that I had had wanted. Um, um, And... You know, I learned how to love the business of being a hypnotherapist. I learned how to attract clients. I I honed it beautifully, in my own opinion. And today I choose how I live as a result. I've been through two major economic crises um, while continuing to thrive and continuing to grow my hypnotherapy business, which, which gets better year on year and has done ever since. The way in which hypnotherapists try to build their businesses absolutely baffled me, um, you know, because there is no fixed answer that fi- fits every hypnotherapist all of the time. There are no gurus to be found who have a singular answer that is right for you. Absolutely not. In the last couple of decades, times have changed. The perception of the field of hypnotherapy has changed. There are more hypnotherapists out there than ever before. There's more information available about hypnotherapy than ever before. Things continue to change rapidly. Um, You know, technology has changed massively. Just as we all engage in continued professional development to keep our skills relevant, fresh and up to date. So we need to understand how to develop our business effectively, how to keep on attracting the right kind of clients into our business. Today, I encounter so many, I mean many, many hypnotherapists at lectures, conferences, CPD trainings, other events, and so many of them struggle. So many of them. Um, So many of them ask me, you know, some of the best ways to get clients. And it's really difficult to offer up a soundbite in a tea break that will transform them from desperate and isolated, eager hypnotherapist into a successful commanding professional with a healthy waiting list of referred clients. You want to see more clients. You want to excel as a busy hypnotherapist. You want kudos. You want to serve the world and help as many people as possible be well and benefit from what you know hypnotherapy can do. You want to do these things and probably more besides. So when you're looking for the right people, when you're seeking out mentors, you know, find the real tried and tested stuff, not just from hypnotherapists, but from exceptional professionals in a variety of fields and dig beneath the headlines, dig beneath the sales pitch, think critically about it, you know, get evidence, be healthily and rightly skeptical about it. Um, And like I said, seek some proof for any claims being made. It's not necessarily a given that you'll earn £100,000 per year and upwards, as this Men's Health article suggests. The second story that I wanted to mention this week, also from, from a decade ago, you know, I dug out this reference to a story from back in 2008, and I'm sharing it today simply because it really made me laugh. And, and it, it featured in the Metro newspaper, um, and the title was Man Hypnotised to Quit Fags Now Has Scampy Fries Addiction. I mean... The, the, the title itself, it's got to be sticking a smile on your face. 
So the story goes along the lines of this. When Darren Corbett's cigarette cravings were suddenly cured by hypnosis, he smelled something fishy, scampy fries to be exact. And the article goes on to say, now the 43 year old cannot get through a day without devouring 20 packets of the pub snack. Darren Corbett spends £11 a day on them, nearly double the cost of his old habit, and his breath smells worse. When my mates go outside for a smoke, I sit inside and munch, said the Tyler from Keeley in West Yorkshire. Mr Corbett picked up his new vice after a hypnotist at his local pub cured him of his 30-day, 30-a-day habit. Now, you know, that that on its own seems rather comedic to me, you know, blaming stopping smoking for driving him to scampy fries. Um, um, and, it, and it kind of made me laugh a, a little bit um, um, for, for, for all the wrong reasons. And um, because it was scampy fries, because they hum and, and for a wide number of other things, you know, I, I mean, a good therapeutic solution would be making sure that there were no gaps left that needed plugging by something like scampy fries. But but that's not the funniest part of the story as far as I'm concerned, because it ends. It ends with these lines. Hypnotist David Knight helped Mr. Corbett quit as a thank you for being such a good subject during his stage performances. Mr. Corbett did a convincing impression of a washing machine and became unhealthily attracted to a bar stool. <laughs> Um, I, I, I love that. I love that. I love that. Um, there are links to these stories over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, go see it for yourself. Became unhealthily attracted to a bar stool. Next up, we have this week's professional discussion then. Um, I welcome back Hazel Gale. Um, when I approached Hazel and invited her onto the show, I was expecting us to be talking about hypnosis for sports, you know, as per her backstory that she described so beautifully earlier on in the show. And though Hazel does work with a lot of sports people and, and fighters in particular, um, she told me that she'd like to speak about Mind Monsters, her Mind Monsters, her, her project with the same name. And I went and did some Googling on it and I had a look at a website and so on. And, and I was delighted about that. And, and we're discussing that here today. And I recommend checking out her website um, with all the Mind Monster pictures and illustrations on it. It's very insightful and, and demonstrates a lot of what Hazel talks about here in this discussion. OK, here is this week's professional discussion with Hazel Gale talking Mind Monsters. Enjoy. <music> So I'm back once again with this week's guest, Hazel Gale, and we're going to be talking all things Mind Monsters, um, um, which is the name of uh, Hazel's project. And as you would have heard earlier on, something that she's looking to, to, to get involved in in her own work, in her own book, um, um, with regards to, to what, what it is that she's doing. Um, um, Hazel, first of all, tell us a little bit, you know, how did it all come to be? What's, what's the kind of backstory as far as this, this Mind Monsters project of yours is concerned? Um, so, well, it all it all grew out of the book, really. I mean, actually, the, the the metaphor, the monster metaphor, was something I'd used a number of times before. The monster is essentially a label-free metaphor for for any problem that somebody might have, and the mind monsters process is 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 uh, it takes elements of uh, standard parts integration. I'll, I'll explain it in a bit of bit more detail later. Um, but as I was writing the book, it it, it took a lead role, and um, the. The key method, the key anecdote that I start out with in the book, which is something at any time I'm speaking, I tend to tell this story because it because it sums up 
everything that I'm about really and where I the what made the biggest change for me or when I actually it's when I knew that I'd made the change that really mattered this 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 moment so it was the it was the 15th of December in 2013 and I was warming up to box for a national title and I was in this space looking around and seeing all the things that you normally see in this situation you know, everything stinks of tiger balm fighters are sitting around with towels draped over their anxious faces with feet tapping nervously it's a very very thick aggressive environment a very nervous environment to be in the air feels thick with with tension and um but i was there and 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 i was thinking about how i normally felt in these situations so normally i'd be picturing myself in the fight and horrible images of getting getting knocked out or overwhelmed or just making some kind of terrible mistake would would plague my my thoughts but but not this time. This time I was I was I was skipping and my feet were just sort of dancing to the rhythm of the skipping rope as it whistled past my ears. And I remember this moment of feeling so light and energetic and ready. And this bearing in mind, I was still wasn't completely recovered from my my years of chronic fatigue at this point. So I wasn't in peak fitness. And yet still I felt so completely present and ready. And when I walked out to fight on that day, I remember just this feeling of my uh, of the ground underneath my feet. I was taking purposeful steps towards the ring, and I and the, the place was curiously calm. It was like a a layer of freshly fallen snow had covered and quilted the audience. It all felt very very peaceful, um, and I remember just sensing this little voice in my mind that says, "I've I've got this," and I was like, "Is this?" Is this self-belief that I'm experiencing right now? Because I'm definitely not used to hearing this kind of thinking at this stage. But but I was, and I stepped into the ring, and the guy saw the girl in the in the uh, the opposite corner, and I noticed that she was a southpaw, which means left-handed, which is for most boxers a, a, a real nightmare because they're completely awkward and backwards. But she was a southpaw, and I still thought I can do this, and the fight went very well. I, in fact, I, I had real moments of flow because I, I think I remember throwing a. I threw a straight right hand to the body at one point in in the first round and she ducked into it. And so it landed clean in her face. And um, and then from that point forward, my body was just throwing that punch and landing it time after time after time. I wasn't making those decisions consciously. I was just in a state where my body was doing what I needed it to do without a thought. Um, but the real difference between this fight and the ones that have preceded it came at the end. So we're standing side by side with the referee between us. And I'm pretty sure that we both knew at that stage that I was going to get the decision. But as my hand was actually raised, I felt a surge of alien emotion. And I'm still not sure if it was happiness or pride or just a good old fashioned sense of achievement. But it was completely new. Up until that point, when my hand had been raised, and I only really know about this retrospectively looking back, I realized that what I'd done automatically when my hand had been raised was drop my head and avert my eyes. I I never felt that I deserved any sense of victory. So I was instantly ready to write it off as fluke or chance or just a lucky day. But on this day, when my hand was raised, I I managed to own the victory. In fact, more than that, I looked up and out instead of down and in. I looked up and out and I connected with the people who'd been there all the way along the journey. All my friends and family supporters who were in the audience there for me that day. I've never done that before. I never actually 
thought about sharing the victory and letting the connection be the thing that that, that made it valuable. But it absolutely was. And I, I knew right there and then that what I'd done was I'd taken myself out of this introspective, self-referencing, self-focused state that was that was my entire problem. Mm. Anx, you know, anxious need to to add to myself and make myself better. Because none of that was happening, my, my automatic response is to connect. And in that connection, I realized was where all of everything that we're searching for when we're striving for victory was actually in the connection. So I realized then that you can't keep, you just can't keep victory for yourself without tainting it. And this changed my life completely. From that point forward, I actually, I only had one fight after that before I walked away from boxing because I didn't need to do it anymore. Um, and, and connection and empathy became themes for me. I mean that quite literally. I actually started using words like that as themes for my years um, like instead of New Year's resolutions, which was a, which was something that a, a fellow colleague, Rachel Moore, came up with as an idea. So instead of setting ourselves targets that we can fall short of, let's set themes. Um, I thought that was a brilliant idea. And I, I remember empathy and connection and vulnerability and honesty, these sorts of words were my themes. And it's totally changed the way that I practice. It's totally changed the way that I, you know, it, it informed the way I wrote the book. And now it's informed this Mind Monsters project, which is which has come out of it, which I can't really tell you how excited I was when this started. So in the book, I ask people to imagine the part of their personality that creates the self-sabotage they want to focus on. So that could be anxiety, it could be lingering resentment, or it could be binge eating or um, binge drinking or drug taking or nail biting or whatever it is that they're focusing on. So it's it's a very loose, uh, uh, loose, loose way of working. It, it can fit to any model. Um, I asked them to imagine this part. I asked them to imagine what it would look like if they could see it, what it might be saying. The idea of all of this is to get people into a place where they have an identifiable um, uh, um, oh, I just want to say part again, identifiable part of their personality that they can then create a dialogue with and communicate with in the moments when they need to change course, when they need to change, they need to take control of their behaviours rather than get swept away by habit and and uh, and urge. Um, and the the brilliant thing about this was very, very ever since the very first draft of of my book fight went out for review people started sending me back drawings of what they were imagining um and they were they are absolutely beautiful vulnerable meaningful pieces of artwork they range from angry scribbles in notepads through to oil paintings animations and even one really really breathtaking song by a, an incredible artist called e e uh, ebony buckle mm. And I, 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 these things started coming in and I was just like, this is so exciting, not just because suddenly I had these amazing images to, to share with the world, but also because in exploring and expressing the part of the personality that we're calling the monster, the people who are taking part in the Mind Monsters project are exploring and expressing the aspect of self that normally they'd be far more likely to try to fight off, try to lie about or try to hide. Mind yeah. Monsters. Yeah, they are essentially the, the metaphorical representation of shame. And, and, and any, th any therapist will tell you that the first thing we need to do in order to let go of that toxic emotional state is acknowledge the things we feel it about. And once we get to the point where we can share it, it, it kind of disappears. Mm. I, um, um, you, you know, I was, I, was, I was really engrossed in that. Um, um, you, 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 you pretty much explained um, 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 but but w w when people ask you, when people just say to you, you know, this Mind Monsters project, what is it? 
What do you, what do you say? Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's lots of things. The, the, the very basic, the, very, the first thing it was, was a mental health awareness campaign. I, with permission, shared these images along with the answers to seven questions um, that came out with the images, which means that there are some words that go along with the, with the pictures, um, as a means for, to strike up a dialogue um, and a conversation about the things that people don't normally talk about. So people were sending in monsters that represented drinking too much, social anxiety, procrastination, all these things. No, nobody doesn't have a monster. Nobody doesn't have something they wish they could just improve on a little bit. But we tend, because especially in this world that that tries to convince us that we need to be perfect, that we need to get rid of negative emotions and get rid of, you know, not man up, that horrible attitude of, you know, just toughen up, be stronger, you know, say no to your fears, all that sort of stuff. I think there's a great need for these vulnerable and real conversations coming from all different types of people, very successful people and people just on the street who are all experiencing the same sort of self-doubt. So the Mind Monsters project at its basic level was is just an awareness campaign that utilizes these image, images to strike up a conversation. But it's also yeah. more than that. In terms of a process, um, the, the identification of this part and getting to know it through creative expression is a therapeutic intervention in itself. In my book, I'm using it as a vehicle to take people right through the process of, of integration. So you start out with, you, often people start out with a very sort of shadowy, undefined image that, that people have sent me emails saying that they felt physically sick while drawing their monsters or that their hand was shaking with nerves or they went freezing cold because these are these are things that we do not want to experience. And that's the problem. The more we resist them, the more powerful they become and the, the more capable they are of taking over our behaviours and turning us into the monsters that we don't want to be. Um, so just in exploring and ex exploring the idea creatively, people are people are taking a big step. And in the book, the idea is for them to get to know this part well enough and get to know the positive intentions that are that, that are behind these aspects of our personality, to get to know the root of them, to do some memory work that takes us right back to the beginning, to where these patterns are formed, and therefore reintegrate the part because the monster represents. We think of it as a negative behaviour, but everything behind it is so much more than that. The monster is not just about negative emotions and negative behaviours. When we accept those things, what this part of the personality actually brings us is a greater level of creativity, a better contact with our gut instinct, better relationships with people, and that's really, really key. So on that day when I when I fought and I won and I looked up and out instead of down and in when I my hand was raised, that was because my monster was now on my side. You know, she was on my team now. And because I was okay about showing my fear of failure to other people, okay about showing my humanness to other people, automatically I was far, far more capable of connecting. And so some of the people who've sent in their monsters, even anonymously, and then seen their monsters shared by other people or, or, or seen comments like encouraging comments or, or just comments of empathy written uh, below them on the social media accounts and stuff like that, these people report feeling far more in control just because they feel seen and respected regardless of this thing that they don't like about themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, r r r you know, sounds wonderful. Just, just, is there, is there a kind of guiding philosophy that underpins it? Is there a, is there, a, is there a kind of principal position that you had when you were, when you were kind of putting these things in place or, or has that started, started to, to kind of create itself as you've developed it? Yeah. I mean, the guiding principle is that, is that the more we move towards a place of psychological wholeness and integration, the happier and more successful we'll be. Um, 
And so I think the sort of soundbite that comes with that that I, that, I, that, I, that I find myself saying very often is that you simply cannot wage war on yourself and then emerge victorious. And that's what we tend to do without, without having stepped into this work. You know, if, if we drink too much on a night, we don't wake up in the morning and think about how much we love ourselves. We wake up in the morning and call ourselves idiots or dickheads or something awful to, to, to try and kick ourselves into gear. And it doesn't work because the more we resist these parts of the personality, these are just hurting parts of us. They are just parts of us that are experiencing some old repeating pain they need to be healed not kicked not beaten up um so that i that that one sentence that you can't wage war on yourself and then emerge victorious was my guiding principle with all of this i was i wanted to set up a a situation where people could you know really express just how much they hate this part but then in doing so it's, it's interesting because people try to try to create this the scariness of their monster or the the negative emotion of their monster on the page. And in doing so, they end up with something that just looks, it kind of gets paralyzed by being drawn for a start and it gets very much humanized. It looks cuter than it should do, than they thought it was going to. Their, their answers to the questions end up revealing useful information about themselves. So, um, so yeah, you, you, it's it's about learning. It's all about learning to love yourself, monsters and all. And, and then in by... Um, in sort of by, by proxy, you end up learning to love other people so much more, and also learning to understand other people so much more fully. Because when you've got in touch with your own monster and you know how it functions, you can see when other people are in that place too, and that enables compassion rather than rather than uh, defensiveness and taking things personally. So it's um, uh, yeah, I guess I guess you know it it's it's my little offering for uh, a means to save the world from itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love that. Love that. So, I mean, you've, you've mentioned a few things already. What are, what are some of the key features of it? Some of the things that um, um, that, that are really useful for our, our listeners to, to, to know about, for example? Um, um, I think the, the key thing, I think the really key thing is creativity, that something magical happens when people creatively address their issues. I've actually got a, a, a this is slightly off topic, but not quite. Um, I've got a I've got a workshop coming up with an amazing graphic designer called Sarah Hindman, who she's actually a typographer and she looks at the psychology of letter form. So looking at, how, you know, whether you're using a serif font or a sans serif font, um, how that influences our senses. She can get people to taste wine differently, depending on what the label, what font the label is written in. She can get people to smell lavender just because they're looking at a certain font face. It's incredible work. We're combining her type tasting method with with my mind monsters concept by putting a day long pro process together for people to come along and in creatively involve themselves in as many different ways as possible in their issue. So they come in with this sort of shadowy uh, undefined uh, basic idea of, of what they want to get rid of normally. And by the end of the day, they've explored that problem through drawing, through um, sort of automatic mark making um, and, and a crucial part as well as expressive writing. And this is what I would say to people. The Mind Monsters is a short um, expressive writing process, really, expressive writing and drawing process. You draw the image. But most people find that they really get to know the little details by answering the seven questions that come, come with them. It's seven or six. Not sure. And the questions are, are so what's the, what's the self-sabotage you're focusing on? Um, if your monster had a name, what would it be? If it could speak, what would it say? Where does it live? Um, where do you think it might have come from? How does it make you feel and what kind of future would it create for you? 
Um, these questions, if you actually, they sound like very simple questions, but if you actually sit down and answer them using the monster metaphor, this, this vehicle for change, people very often find themselves with an emotional shift just as a process of doing that. And that's what expressive writing can do. The, the freedom that, that we have just to express ourselves through words and to think about which words resonate with our experience. That work generates the type of self-awareness that means that the next time the monster pipes up in that window of opportunity, when say someone's trying to give up smoking, for example, the thought occurs to them they want to give up smoking. If they are in a state, if they're not in a state of awareness at that point, and they're not in a state of command, that thought will lead immediately to them smoking a cigarette or deciding that they're definitely going to have one later or whatever it is they need to do. But with the awareness that you can create using processes like the Mind Monsters process, you generate the opportunity for a dialogue with yourself in that moment. You can smile at your monster. You can give it a hug. Um, you can invite it back in and you can also remember that, you know, because you've done this work, you know that the that the monster thinks that that cigarette's going to bring a sense of company. And so actually maybe they could just call their mum instead and might, that might help them to get through the cigarette great craving. You know, there's all sorts of things that can come out of this, but we need to know ourselves before we can make those kinds of changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great, great. What, what, what's the future? Um, and what's the future for this Hazel? What you know? What's um, um, what, what, what's your ambition, your vision, and so on? Um, well, I'm, I'm, we've I've just teamed up with someone to potentially um, build a, a, an app for this, and actually a research study. Um, I'm not sure how much detail I can give about that right now. We're, we're waiting for funding, but I'm really hoping that we're going to have the opportunity to be building that app and running the research study um, alongside it next year. Um, and I just want, I, I want to just keep the conversation going. I mean, if anyone's listening to this, you don't need to be good at drawing or whatever other medium you choose to, to use to represent your monster. If any of this resonates and if you go onto the website and look at the page that's, that's, that's called Meet Your Monster, um, if you send me in a monster and some answers to the questions, I would be eternally grateful because I want to gather as many of these as I possibly can. I'm, I'd, I'd also like to start to have enough. I've got I've got around 100 at the moment. I'd like to have a good few hundred so that I can start to put them in categories and look at, you know, these are all the social anxiety monsters. Are there any similarities between them? Here, here are all the binge drinking monsters. Are there any similarities between them? Because it's just such a great, it's such an in, in, engaging way to have these conversations. And it's in, completely all inclusive. Um, the only thing that gets in the way is, pe- is, is people's monsters because people say, oh, I can't do that because I'm not good at drawing or I can't do that because I'm not good at writing. Everyone can do this. And especially the writing bit. I really hate when I hear people say they're no good at writing, especially when I hear people who are eloquent speakers just having a chat with their friends. They can make themselves understood perfectly. In that case, they can write. But the way our schooling system makes us feel about it tends to create this horrible insecurity and people don't think they can do it. We can all do it. So this is a, a way to get to get started in in that creative outlet really yeah 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 love that um um where where, where can people go to learn more about this then hazel i mean i know you mentioned some of these things earlier can you just reconfirm yeah so the mind monsters project has its own website which i put yeah. together relatively recently um it's called mindmonsters.online and on that website, you can find uh, examples of monsters along with the pro. You can and also the song is on there. The, the my monsters. Yeah, song. yeah, yeah. I've been listening to that uh, uh, this morning. I was listening to that um, um, song "Ebony and the Monster" um, yeah. um, um, by Ebony Buckle, which is great. And 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 I love the the, the the pictures that are on there that you've been describing and talking about. 
yeah yeah so all of that's on there the meet your monster page is on there so that you can uh so that you can go through the process it it, it can take as, as as little as three minutes of your time if you do it quickly but of course you can spend a lot longer than that if you want to um so that's all on the mind monsters page the mind monsters also have an instagram account which again i've only just set up so i'm just trying to sort of uh, rope in uh, followers at the moment but the, the handle is um at meet the mind monsters great because great. some bastard already had mind monsters um, how dare they <laughs> oh, I could be seeking them out. Um, yeah, the Meet the Mind Monsters. I'm, I'm, I'm putting them up. A, you know, one every every few days or one a week, every now and then, um, just, uh, just to share, just to share them and uh, get the conversation going. Brilliant, brilliant, Hazel. Thank you, thank you. Um, it's been, it's been lovely having you on. It's been lovely hearing about this. Um, and I wish you uh, the very best going forward with it. Um, um, and 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 with with all the aims that you have for this program and this project. Uh, for all those people that are listening in, uh, um, go visit uh, Mind Monsters um, um, website. There'll be links over at this page of the episode weekly, um, of the Hypnosis Weekly um, um, episodes page, and on the and on the notes for those of you that listen. Um, in, in iTunes. All that remains for me to say, Hazel Gale, thank you very much indeed for coming and being this week's guest. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. Uh, it was lovely speaking to Hazel and hearing about her Mind Monsters project, and I wish her much, much success going forward with it. Uh, there are links to uh, Hazel's websites where you can go and um, um, explore her book over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website, and of course at the episode notes over at iTunes. Um, so on to this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. And the fact of the week is this. Passive listening of hypnosis audio tracks is significantly less effective than self-directed and self-regulated applications of self-hypnosis skills when being used in the childbirth setting for reduction of labor, pain and time. Um, um, yeah, so passive listening of hypnosis audio tracks, far less effective in obstetrics than self-directed and self-regulated use of self-hypnosis skills. Um, and yes, this is indeed according to a brilliant 2018 study entitled Clinical Applications of Self-Hypnosis, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of Randomized Controlled Trials by Eason and Paris. Yes, you heard me right. Eason and Paris. Yes, yes, yes. It's nice to be citing myself. This is one of the points from my own recently published paper in the APA Psychology of Consciousness peer-reviewed journal. The evidence gives a strong case for the way self-hypnosis is used in obstetrics. In particular, the application of self-regulated skills is far superior to passive listening of audio tracks, according to the evidence presented in some of the largest self-hypnosis studies ever conducted. Uh, one even by, by, by the NHS here in the UK. A link to the research paper uh, um, um, is included on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. If you follow me on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, you can find masses of memes relating to a variety of studies whereby hypnosis has been examined. 
So that's it for this week's 98th edition. I hope you enjoyed it. I do have many more exciting guests that I'll be welcoming to Hypnosis Weekly in coming editions. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating, and above all, remaining friends. Our next edition is a special edition that was recorded live at the Friday night of the UK Hypnosis Convention last weekend, um, where I hosted a panel with Frederick Mao, um, Albert, Alberto Delisola, um, Kate Bevan Marks, Jurgen Rasmussen, and the inimitable Freddie Jack Quint. Um, um, so look out for that next time out. Um, all the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, all can be found in the, the episode notes over at iTunes, of course. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. So do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure they get addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else. Really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again go to Hazel Gale. My thanks to you as always for tuning in. I love you very much. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now.